0: Every time.
1: A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready
2: because geekiness begins in three, two, one.
0: On this week's program, just how good will the return of Pennywise be the second time around? Get out your Lancers for another round of Gears of War and fantasy football is back again.
2: Welcome to the PCC Multiverse.
0: And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassman from from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports, and of course, Pop Culture Cosmos. Man, that's a lot to say right here for you. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. It is our Marcus Phoenix of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today. At PopCultureCosmos.com, PopCultureCosmos on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more, including his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. I've got two words for you when it comes to Gears of War, my friend. Ah, come on.
3: I thought that you were going a different direction with that. I thought you were going to say, Josh Ammo.
0: No, no, actually, for me, I always remember, ah, come on, when I get it stuck right there, and I don't hit the button at the right time, and it doesn't reload properly. I mean, it's a
3: little more expletive than that, but I get what you're saying.
0: Yes, yes, but this is going to remain a family show. We're going to try and keep it as clean as possible, but just don't let me play Gears of War with you anytime soon. But it is going to be a great episode we have for you today of the PC Multiverse We are talking some Gears of War as Gears of War 5 hits stores this weekend. We're going to talk about some of the early reviews, some of the early thoughts. Plus, again, we're going to discuss into more detail what we're hoping for from the experience known as Gears of War 5. Also as well, we're going to be talking about another video game that's coming out this weekend, NBA 2K20, which is going to always be a big seller because the NBA 2K line of games is just Really, done very well over the past few years. But as those microtransactions with NBA 2K series have gone up, also the controversy with it has gone up as well. And it's really gotten to a boiling point when it concerns their latest video that they debuted this week. So we'll talk about that coming up later in the show. We're also continuing our countdown of the top 200 video games of all time with numbers 141 to 150. And Justin Novaro. He's stopping by to talk some fantasy football because we also started this week the Inside Sports Fantasy Football podcast. And I'll tell you what, it's just so exciting to talk some great people. I've already talked to Jason Dutch from The Voice from the Underground. That's already up. And Justin Novaro, he's coming up on this week's program to talk some fantasy football. We actually made it our own separate show that's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. And you'll be able to listen to episodes on all your favorite podcast outlets. But first, my friend, it is IT Chapter 2. I tell you what, a lot of people are excited because it's the first, I don't want to say got to see movie, but this is the first high-profile movie we've had come to the Cineplexes in quite some time. You know, I guess, what, Hobbs and Shaw, I think, was probably the last one, and that's about a month ago. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, as IT Chapter 2 comes out in theaters. Your thoughts on what you're hoping to see when it comes to IT Chapter 2. So it
3: is. It was one of those. It was um, it was one of those movies where that just sounds funny when you say it. It was it 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 was one of those movies. You get what I'm trying to say? Where you were expecting it to be scary because you you know if you were a kid and you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you obviously saw the one with uh, what was the guy's name that played uh, Pennywise in the original It
0: tim curry tim Tim curry yeah and it had john ritter in it and Mm -hmm. uh, harry anderson yes great (laughs) character actors during that period of time and i've told you before i've seen it and actually it'll get played right around this time again so if anybody missed out on it i'm sure they're going to be able to get a chance to see it this weekend but i mean the, the practical effects have aged very badly and it does not look good at all especially in the ending but Overall, I guess it's a little bit a little bit over the top and hammy, but you know what? For a '90s TV movie, which it was at that time, which doesn't happen too often these days on broadcast television, I think was is pretty worthwhile, and I enjoyed it at the time. It's just not the type of movie that has aged very well, so that's why I appreciate it, Chapter One, even more.
3: Yeah, but I mean, like it. Whether it, (sighs) I'm sorry, it's making me laugh saying that whether the movie has a, the, the old one, whether it has, you find it corny or whatever, it still had a special place in our, you know, our hearts growing up. Cause it was the movie, you know, your kids, your friends would show up to school going, have you seen this movie? It's terrifying. It's about a clown. It eats kids and stuff like that. And like, it was one of the, it was the quintessential horror movie
0: for, it was actually pushing the the guidelines of what broadcast television was doing at that point in time.
3: Yeah. And it, It it just, it was, it came out on on video. Even in the 90s, like me growing up in like, you know, 90, when was I in the first grade? 96, I think. That was the movie all my friends were like, hey, my parents have this movie about this killer clown. And so it doesn't matter like if the effects were bad. Of course, the effects in Mortal Kombat are bad. But it was just one of those films or TV series that stood out very high amongst the other things going on at the time. You know, fast forward now, we get this remake. And that book has been repackaged more times than I can count. But you fast forward now, you get the, the remake of it, and it's it's a stellar movie. It's amazing. Like it, It's not just – it's got horror. It's got mystery. It's got comedy in it. It's not the shock value of the –
0: It's not it.
3: It's not, Yeah, well, the shock value of the 80s version has been – I don't want to say removed, but it's been tweaked a little bit to actually form a good story because we have the, a history of – horror and cinema just being being bad or they try to like you know make it meta or transcending in some way it doesn't work out and now you have who directed it? It was um
0: Andres Muschietti.
3: Yeah so it, it was very well put together. It's very well written. It had something for everybody, but it, it it offered more than just cheap scares and I think that's what makes it stand out so much. And now we have it chapter two coming out and it elaborates on you know the the first one more it's a, it's a, it carries a story on and because in the book the book jumps around between when the kids are kids and then when they're adults like it alternates sections in the book so I'm hoping it looks like in eight chapter two we're getting that with you know they have Bill Hader and James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain in there and they're alternating views because it still has some stuff with the kids in it so that's I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to do that I'm excited about it 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 chapter one was a great movie. I'm looking forward to it chapter two continuing that legacy of excellent storytelling. And I'm just curious if they're going to do the ceremony of blood or whatever, where the you know you, you know what I'm talking about. But
0: originally, when you asked me that question a few weeks ago, I was thought you were talking about. There's another scene in the book, yet even in an R-rated film that they're going to go ahead and really depict. So I think the blood ceremony, I think uh, they've already actually alluded to that or gotten around that as far as, uh, or gotten to that, as far as talking about there's more blood in a certain scene that's ever been used in Hollywood cinema. So I have a feeling they're going to probably go ahead and do that scene. Okay. Yeah. Cause that was like
3: the, the shocking ending of the, the other ones. I'm excited to see more of it. You know, like I I love the book. I love the first one. I love the story. I love Stephen King stuff. And you know, now that I've read all the Dark Tower books and I know that this stuff's all connected, it's even more fascinating to me.
0: Two things, my friend, before I go ahead with more questions for you. One thing is, number one, if you're actually right now listening to the show and you're having a drink game for every time we said the word it, you'd probably be plastered right about now. And second, for Jessica Chastain, and James McAvoy. It's so funny that this movie will make more this weekend than Dark Phoenix will make in its entire run. Too bad. It's right now, you could just say that they're X X-Men. Oh. But, anyways, it chapter two is coming out this weekend. It's expect to do right around a hundred million dollars. What concerns me though, or what gets me though, is I'm reading the reviews. And even though It Chapter One is universally beloved by both fans and critics, a lot of people say that this was maybe a little bit long in the tooth as far as the amount of time that it takes to tell its narrative. And then also as well that the ending may have not been as, as complete as they wanted it to be, which is kind of interesting because the source material is already there. They just had to go ahead and connect the dots and match up to it.
3: Yeah, and there has to be a level of crafting done here, though, because, you know, like I said, the first film was all about the kids, so they have to take pieces, you know, the, the first two sections of the book and mix them in with sections of the last half of the book, and I, I'm curious to see how that all
0: flows together. I am as well. I'll tell you what, I'm just very interested to see where this will go as far as for IT Chapter 2. Obviously, it's not going to lead to, what well, you can't have it lead anywhere else. It can't be like an It Chapter 3 and continuing because Stephen King never wrote or anything beyond what the, the whole encompassing It book right there. Even if it does a whale's worth of money, it does, it does a whole lot of money as far as even comparatively speaking to the previous movie, which did over $700 million worldwide. I know the studios will want to go ahead and try and do something to try and and lengthen this even more. Where could they possibly go with this type of story? Or where could they possibly go with this maybe connected narrative? Because you've talked about the Dark Tower before, connecting all these various Stephen King properties together in either a loose or a tight fashion. If you're Warner Brothers and New Line, and you want to go ahead and try and tie something to It Chapter 1 and 2, if it chapter two is a success, where would you go from here in order to go ahead and try and tie into the success of these two movies?
3: You know obviously the Dark Tower would be where I'd go but Amazon's already working on something like that. So I wonder like maybe they could be interconnected. but another good place to go is uh, Stephen King's property, the Salem's lot that I'm thinking about. but they, okay. they, they revisit that in the Dark Tower, which is cool. You know, like I said, there's an abundance of content there. The the creatures that crawled out of the darkness between Midworld and Dark Tower, there's an abundance of content to pull from there and a lot of Stephen King books, but it's just the fact that I, I think they could easily like have Stephen King himself even write a script based on one of his monsters, or maybe a monster he's wanted to explore but hasn't had the time to do it. Like he could easily he doesn't have to sit there and write another six hundred page novel, so you know, however long it is but he could craft something from scratch and make it just
0: for the movie theaters. I think Salem's Lot would be an interesting choice, but getting back to The Stand, because The Stand, I believe, has a lot of properties in it and I'm reading up on it as far as my familiarity with The Stand and remembering it. I think that The Stand also dealing with an epidemic and, and how it was handled and I think that movie, especially the coming off the heels of the zombie series that people seem to love, people seem to enjoy for the most part, I think that might actually go even better for a, a, maybe it's something like a tie-in movie to the It series, or like you said, Salem's Lot, if you want to go back into vampires, into a supernatural realm as well, so I think either The Stand or Salem Slot are great places to go for a continuance of this type of Stephen King love fest, but it's the way you handle it as well, because Warner Brothers handled the IT series and the promotion and the hype concerning both IT Chapter 1 and now Chapter 2 very well. I think even if Chapter 2 does not do the projected $100 million domestically this weekend, it will still do very well above what most horror movies will ever do in its lifetime so i think that needs to be said right there i still think that some of these these hollywood studios do not understand how to promote stephen king properties well because we've seen issues with with even some of the better stephen king movies and some of the best stephen king movies like the shawshank redemption That was a bomb when it came out to the theaters back in the 90s, and it really didn't gain a life until it hit television on its own. So I will tell you what, my friend, it comes to the point where Warner Brothers or whatever studio wants to go ahead and tie into this. We saw what Sony did as far as promotion with Dark Tower, and they really flubbed it as far as the actual generation and making of the movie and also the how they promoted it as, as being something that was just not quite up to snuff. So you saw what happens with the Stephen King property if it's not promoted properly. So I'm, I'm hoping that you, know, you can take this momentum that's built up by both IT Chapter 1, and I'm going to presume that IT Chapter 2 will do well enough to warrant more interest into expanding the Stephen King multiverse even more than what's been done but again, it's all up to the studios and how they promote it and how they go ahead and go about it. They need to go ahead and get the blueprint for how IT Chapter 1 was promoted and go from there because Pet Cemetery that came out to absolutely horrible acclaim and it did poorly at the box office. So you see what happens when you have a Stephen King property that doesn't get the kind of love that it should. But a Stephen King movie that is getting the kind of love that it should and that is IT. Because with Chapter 2, we're seeing the whole encompassing story come to life, seeing how it's going to break down as far as the finality is concerned. Yes, the critical reviews are not quite up from what the first one did, because the first one was more tight, more concise. It didn't have to do as much as It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2, flashbacks to what happened with the kids, trying to story build as far as what's going on in modern times. And then you have the climactic conclusion of the battle with Pennywise. So at this point in time, I still see good signs for It Chapter Two. Whether or not it will have enough legs to deliver as much or more as it chapter one, that remains to be seen. We'll know certainly over the next few weeks. For more than most horror movies, it chapter two is gonna do very well.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree. Like you know, look at the audience that went to see it chapter one, like it wasn't your typical like teenagers out for a A scare, you know, it was sophisticated moviegoers, more or less. And it was, I'd never seen that kind of audience in a movie like that. So I definitely think that they are going to be going places that are not just meant to make people scared, but also meant to make people think, which is why I think the first one succeeded so much.
0: I agree with you. And I know a lot of people are excited because it chapter two is debuting theaters this weekend. I think it's going to get a lot of early interest. How long it will continue that interest? It's really up to the word of mouth of people out there that if they have enough interest in continuing and completing the IT saga. What are your thoughts out there on IT Chapter 2? Are you excited to see it? Did you enjoy the first one? And are you going to go back to the theaters to check out the conclusion of this two-part IT movie series? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, plus also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well.
2: You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials?
0: Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a VitaBRACE gaming wristband or use the code buy one, get one and it's buy one, get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50 or buy and the number one, get and the number one today to get some great deals on some VitaBRACE gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace win with it my friend it's a great weekend for gamers gears of war 5 is hitting the shelves nba 2k 20 is hitting the shelves borderlands 3 is coming right behind it i know we're going to be talking about that coming up next week so we'll hold off on the borderlands but right now it is gears of war 5 by the time you hear this it'll be out on store shelves My friend, I want to ask you this. As someone who has played Gears of War, probably even more than I, even though I've played it quite a bit myself, what are your thoughts about Gears of War 5 now that you finally have a chance to go ahead and play it and continue the fight for Sarah?
3: So I was talking to Brian Wegner about this earlier. It looks like it has a lot of new elements. You know, every every Gears has that annoying vehicle sequence. Remember, like the first one had the the, the light and you flash the pitch black things and then you know, you had the mech suits and gears for this one has like the wind, the, the sails or the, the solar sails or whatever they are.
0: Well, I, to expound on that, because I noted that as far as, you know, a, an issue that I had that I didn't think that was a, gonna be a good part of the game. And you're right, it seems like it's filler. It also, when you're using that vehicle, it also helps you find extra locations that you don't necessarily have to go through within the main campaign. But if you go to these extra locations, once you clear out of whatever monster horde that is based there, you get to go ahead and expound with story pieces and, and uh, I guess narrative arcs that maybe you wouldn't get if you just went through the main story. So I guess it gives you the opportunity to go to these other places that are not necessary, but help build the story even more, which is great. But still, you're right. It's it something that they have to throw in seemingly each and every time.
3: Well, they kind of did that with, you know, Uncharted Lost Legacy, right? Like, you you get in the Jeep in that area and you drive around, try to find certain things, like a little mini game. But I am interested, I'm fascinated by what this is, because this is territory that Gears has never gone before. Gears has always been, hey, you take this path or you take that path. If you don't take that path, your buddy's going to take that path. He'll shoot at things from your side, you shoot at things from your side. But this one is like, you know, you have this area of openness. I'm, I'm curious like how much of this is going to be, but my, my main focus is, is the narrative going to be satisfying? Because I always thought that Kate was an interesting character, but I don't want to not find out what JD and Marcus are up to. If that makes sense. You know, I want to know like what the, the other members of your team from the fourth gear is. I want to know what they're up to. What are they doing? How are you going to be able to play with them? If you do uh, you know, if there's four player co-op, are are going to be able to play as them. The gear story is so stagnant, I guess, if that makes sense, that they need to give you something to hook you back into it.
0: You're right, my friend. It does need something at this point in time to hook you back into the series. It is looking like, you're right, JD and Marcus Phoenix are taking a little bit of a backseat. They are putting someone else at the forefront of the series, but they are taking a chance. And you know what? I applaud them for that. applaud them for putting someone else at the forefront as the protagonist in this particular game. So we'll see where they're going to take it, how much she's going to be relied upon to, to carry the narrative out entirely. I know, of course, when you're playing a co-op and then also within your game as a single person narrative, you're still going to be able to get some type of team building, some type of world building, some type of you know camaraderie or conversation that helps build the story as a whole just besides the protagonist, Kate, I mean, obviously she's going to be the focus of it, but there still is going to be individuals that are out there. that are going to be able to assist her that you also want to know more about. And again, Marcus and JD Phoenix, they will be at least part of the equation when it comes to the narrative of Gears of War 5. But at this point in time, they're taking a little bit of a different turn. The coalition and Microsoft when they made Gears of War 5. So I'm, I'm interested to see where this path takes them in the pursuit of trying to go ahead and figure out what's going on with the locusts. What connection does she have with the Locust? Because she's connected with the Locust in some sort of fashion. And I know Gears of War 5 is trying to throw that in as a narrative on, on how she is connected to it. So you're going to find that out, how Katie is connected to the locusts. And it will be interesting to see what they do with her character as Kate goes ahead and becomes the protagonist at the forefront of Gears of War 5.
3: I just hope that they don't diminish, you know, Marcus and JD Phoenix, because why would they give us that introduction to those characters in Gears 4 if they weren't going to go back to them? So I just, I, I, I want to see this stuff with Kate, but I also want to see them have a role of importance.
0: Well, also the fact that they're both getting a supporting role this time around, both JD and also Marcus are getting, like you said, a diminished role. Hopefully won't continue to be diminished because they're both great characters, especially Marcus. I mean, we've all grown up with Marcus since the game came out originally in 2006. So I'm, I'm hoping that they will go ahead and at least in Gears of War 6 or beyond, I don't even know how many more installments there will be of gears of war so that's another good thing we want to ask if that's the case if gears of war 5 does not perform up to expectations they could very well end up closing off the series and maybe one or two more installments and by then hopefully they will be able to go ahead and and have marcus or jd maybe be a bigger part of it if that's the case and it doesn't do well I want it to do well. I want Gears of War 5 to do even better numbers than the series did before because Microsoft doesn't have many options when it goes to foundational pieces. I know you and I have discussed this before, but they've always had an issue having foundational pieces for their hardware and Gears of War is one of those pieces They didn't really promote it well enough, in my opinion. I mean, it just really kind of snuck up on us. I think Borderlands has done a better job of games being promoted that are coming around this time. I think they've done a much better job of promoting their product than Microsoft has with Gears of War 5. And NBA 2K, that's also coming out this weekend. I mean, people that like both those games like I do, they only have so much money. They're usually only going to buy one or the other. So... I'm kind of concerned Gears of War is is kind of like in a little bit of state of flux with where they're going because the change in direction and narrative, but also as well, the time and placement of how they promoted it and when they released the game as well.
3: Well, also, like it's on Games Pass, right? So like if you're paying the 10 bucks a month for Games Pass, you get Gears for free. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much units it's going to sell. I know it's going to get played a lot, but... If you're someone who has Games Pass, or even like if you have Xbox Live, like you might as well just pay the extra couple of bucks and get the Games Pass Ultimate. But even if you have all that stuff, like it's it doesn't hurt to check the game out. And I think that that might be what they're banking on more than you know selling physical copies of the game. But again, like is Gears of War Five going to be
0: Crackdown Three? That's the question everyone's asking. I hope not, because Crackdown Three was a true disappointment. After so much hype initially at E3, saying it was going to be a fully destructible environment, It's going to be a, just an awesome time, it could be so much more advanced than anything we've ever seen before, and it came out to a whisper. After delay, after delay, after delay, they realized they couldn't get it done, and it came out to basically a whisper and just whew, vanished off the face of the earth rather quickly. I mean, a lot of people left that multiplayer. In fact, it didn't even really make the charts because it sold so poorly so i'm hoping that will not be the same fate for gears of war because the crackdown series is basically damaged goods for quite some time that you will not be seeing a new edition of the crackdown series for many many years maybe 10 years probably before you'll ever see a revision of that series but with gears of war that is for a long time and i'm sure you'll admit this as well they at microsoft have thought of Gears of War as being the number two franchise behind Halo. I mean, it's been Halo, Gears of War, and Forza for so many years. If Gears of War 5 doesn't do well, they could be pushing Forza up and pushing Gears to the backside.
3: Yeah, I mean, I imagine they're going to let them finish the story. At least I hope they would. I don't know how Gears 5 is going to end. But I I mean, I feel like Forza already sells more copies than Gears because we talk about Xbox now. Everyone talks about Halo or Forza, and you don't really hear people talking about Gears that much anymore. I know a lot of people are excited about it at E3, but that's just because, you know, we haven't had a new Gears war in, what, three years? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Will it, this is kind of its chance, you know, it's at a turning point. It's either going to skyrocket to fame and fortune and, you know, sell a bunch of copies and people are going to talk about it, it's going to be critically applauded, or, it's going to go the way of crackdown. It can't stay in the middle, right where it is, because it's just going to become it's stagnant. It's already stagnant. People have already stopped talking about it.
0: Absolutely. And Gears of War five on Metacritic right now. It's getting decent grades, getting a decent review here and there, but it's not getting those those nines and 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 above that I know a lot of people were hoping for. The advancements don't seem to be large enough as far as from either a campaign or a multiplayer or even for the horde mode that seems to be so advanced or so revolutionary that it's going to go ahead and put the gear series into a a higher stratosphere with gamers. Unfortunately, it's showing that this is going to be maybe a series that is aging, but is not aging all that well. What are your thoughts out there on Gears of War 5? Are you ready to play it this weekend? Are you geared up for it? Pardon the pun. Or are you just going to go ahead and miss it because you don't have a love for the Gears of War series anymore? Please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next... It's fantasy football time again, and a lot of great things are going on when it concerns the upcoming NFL season. It just started on Thursday. A lot of people are excited for the new year. Fantasy football is is getting hot and heavy, and Justin Novaro is coming up right after the break in a taste for you Pop Culture Cosmos listeners out there of our new series called Inside Sports Fantasy Football. It's available right now on Anchor. You want to go ahead and give it a listen to, but you know what? We're going to go ahead and give you a sneak peek of what's going on with our new show, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse.
2: Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions.
0: All right, we're back once again, it's Gerald Glassford for Inside Sports Fantasy Football. There's just been so much excitement that's created because we're on the verge of another great fantasy football season. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people are now getting into fantasy football more than ever. So many people going into leagues, whether it's ESPN, Yahoo, or many of the other fantasy football outlets are out there. But what's the best approach in managing your team throughout the season? What are the best concepts? Those are just some of the things I want to go ahead and ask our guest for today's program as part of the Inside Sports Fantasy Football and also from us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's a great guest indeed. It is Justin Novaro. Justin, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Well, it's glad to have you here. I'll tell you what, just you know, we've been trying to meet up for a little while now, so I'm just, t- just so excited to have you on talking some fantasy football if you want to give people a little bit of background on you and your background in fantasy football, just give them a little bit of catch up on what's going on with your world and, and what fantasy football has meant to you.
1: All right. So uh, I started playing probably about 14 years ago. Um, my dad's been in the same league since uh, 1984 or something like that. So I grew up with it. We watch football every Sunday. I played football in high school for four years. So I like to pretend I know what I'm doing and I understand the game. And that's uh, my big background. You know, it's a great way to, it's something that everyone can do now. There's so many resources online that'll help you and help manage your team, help you draft. So it's something that really anybody can try and be pretty successful at.
0: And that's one of the first things I want to ask is, What are some of the resources that you look for either, Wes, you're going to go ahead and go into a draft or some of the resources that you utilize throughout the course of a fantasy football season? Well, going into a draft, it's always important to uh, look at different
1: lists of where players are ranked because your list might be different than someone else's. So if you're only going off of ESPNs, then you might miss players that other people value more like Yahoo or CBS Sports or somewhere like that. So those are, that's the biggest advice I could give is look at as many lists as you can. Don't just look at the
0: one. And I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. That's a great bit of advice. Listening to you as far as expound on that, and plus also your experience going back with your dad and how many years you've been playing fantasy football, it just goes to show you that it's just something that is now really a part of our culture and now embedded in it just it, i cannot tell you enough how excited so many people are including myself in regards to this season with fantasy football
1: yeah absolutely I think I read something the other day that the ESPN used to have i think only ten years ago it was about nine hundred thousand people on fantasy and now it's i don't know twenty million or something is using the platform for fantasy and that's just one platform so when I started i co- owned this team with my dad in this league that's still all on pieces of paper there's nothing online so you really did have to dig deep into as many lists as you could to make a real formulated idea of where you want to be drafting players so
0: i tell you what i've been down that road myself because i started playing in the mid 90s to give you an idea of, of where my experience is at and as i was speaking to jason dutch of the voice from the underground on our last episode it was so funny because he and I both were remarking about how we used to get the notebooks out. Used to drive <laughs> on the paper, to, you know, oh, str- yeah. scratch every, you know, oh, everything just scratched out. I want this player. Oh, he took it in front of me, so I used to scratch it out. Used to have to go to Walgreens or CVS or any mm-hmm. of the local drugstores in town to get those big, or even a bookstore. The bookstore, like uh, at that time, you know, at Barnes & Noble and whatnot, they used to go ahead and have these big sections full of fantasy football magazines for like $10, 15 $25 that you go ahead and buy. Just Yeah, just used to be that as far as references are concerned. Now it's all up on the internet. It's just, you know, it's much more convenient for players out there, especially if you don't have the time in doing so. But getting into the fantasy football season, how you manage it yourself, have you already selected your teams yet for your fantasy football draft?
1: I finished up, I had six leagues this year. I finished up my last draft, I believe last Sunday. So about nine days now of preparation and got everybody in place. Really happy Ezekiel Elliott finally signed because I got him in a lot of places. So and that's
0: And that's true. He just signed today as of this recording. <laughs> I know it brings a collective sigh of relief from a lot of fantasy football owners out there. But it's going to take him a little bit to get into football shape, and his whole season might be hindered or might not exactly get the fullest extent that you would normally get if you had just selected him and he'd been through training camp like no problem, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, they already uh, said today that they're expecting him to only get about 20 to 25 reps for this first game. That's not touches, that's reps. So how true that is, I don't know. But at that rate, he could only be touching the ball 12 times in his first game, but just stay patient. You took him in the first round for a
0: reason. Do you still want to start him in the first game, or should you sit him this first game? I would say
1: start him if you have him. Uh, unless you ended up with four great running backs somehow, there's really nobody lower tier that I'd rather start. I think getting 70% of Ezekiel Elliott is better than 100% of most running backs.
0: Okay. And and when you went about your drafts, because there are still some individuals out there that are doing last-minute drafts and whatnot, You know How do you go about your drafts? What do you target first? And when do you target other positions of need on your team? I always
1: try and get a running back first. That's kind of the universal thought process now is that there's only about 15 great running backs to own and even less that are at a play at an elite level or the only running back on their team or the goal line back as well. So I'm always thinking running backs first. If there's you know, six of them off the board already. I'll usually pivot and take a wide receiver if in that situation, but for the most part, always try and get one of the top seven, eight running backs, especially this year. I think there's so much value later rounds for wide receivers that you should feel comfortable taking any running back in the first that's ranked there.
0: Very interesting because Jason Dutch, who I was talking to on our last episode, was actually the exact opposite because of the wide receivers that he thinks can score just about as good a level as running backs out there. So it's nice to see that kind of dichotomy. But I know most individuals that are out there are leaning towards running backs. To me, it's where you select in that round. You know, if you're closer to the top, yeah, I think you need to, especially in that first round, point towards a running back. But if you're in the fifth, sixth, seventh, or even closer to the back end of the first round and whatnot, I think you need to go ahead and start looking at different areas of need first because the best available talents might not necessarily be at running back after the, let's say the third, fourth, or fifth pick.
1: And that's true. There is definitely a drop off from the top four because you're looking at Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, now Elliott, we know as a lock as a top four guy. And if you feel more comfortable taking a DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams instead of David Johnson, then. I think it's a good call. Just make sure you have a backup plan when you get to the later rounds and you still need running backs.
0: Now, about quarterbacks, because we've talked about running backs and also wide receivers, because after you focus in on one, you're going to focus in on the other. When is a good time to start focusing in on quarterbacks to helm your team? I took both of mine as far as Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. In the fifth and sixth rounds, they were still available there are two of the top five that were rated in that point in time. So I kind of went and go ahead and, and, and chose them then because I couldn't afford to pass them up because they were just so enticing out there. But your thoughts on when you should look for quarterbacks or, you know, some people choose them later and some people choose them sooner.
1: Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Fifth, sixth round is the round I want to be getting a quarterback. Uh, if you want Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to pay for the third, which I think is right around where he should be. I think he's in a tier of his own this year. But I would encourage you to take guys in the fifth or sixth, or you can wait till the almost the end of the draft and try and get a Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger if you really want to try and
0: build bench deck. We'll be right back with more Fantasy Football. Once again, I'm on with Justin Novaro. I tell you what, it's just a great time for him to be out there talking some fantasy football. Blue Crew Chap is on once again. He was a great part of our show last time. He gave some great questions on our last program. I want to go ahead and give him some props again. But he's asking you, will Adrian Peterson's playing time be diminished further with new reports he has upset the coach? That's I, I actually caught wind of that too on on the various news outlets. How much truth is there to those reports? I think where there's smoke, there's fire. But I also think that for most coaches outside of Belichick, they're not going to go ahead and just give in to their anger and just sit that person down. I still think Adrian Peterson early on is a play as a second running back or a flex because I think he's at least the first three, four, five games until he gets hurt or gets replaced, that he's still a very viable fantasy option.
1: You know, I see for Peterson this year, yeah, he's got a few games probably at the start, and then you should try and sell because they invested a lot to Darius Geis last year who uh, missed the entire season with an injury. So he's going to get eased back in. But Darius Geis, before having some draft controversy a couple days before the draft, was projected to be a first-round draft pick. So the Redskins really got a star running back there waiting to take over. So Peterson I don't think will be affected by making Gruden angry or anything like that. I think he's still going to be a safer play, flex range, riding back two for the first few weeks. But after that, I would try and sell him pretty quick after his first big game.
0: I've never seen a member of the Gruden family angry.
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. They're always uh, calm and collected guys. So.
0: That they are, that they are. Okay, maybe not, maybe not. But I will say that it is something definitely to look forward to. But if Blue Crew Chap, I will tell you Adrian Peterson is still, for me, a play, at least early on. But it'll be interesting to see what kind of reps he gets if he really ticked off the coach enough to go ahead and warrant it. And that'd be to the detriment of the team because I think it's still a, a message of you know he needs to come back a, you know, a little bit later in the season, midway, before you start relying on him as a number one option. So I think for now, Adrian Peterson, especially in the fact that you're probably not going to get much more usage out of him because of his advanced age, I think now is the time to play him. Justin, I couldn't agree with you more. Two, three, four games into the season, you get a great offer for them. By all means, Blue Crew Chap or anybody else out there that has Adrian Peterson on their team, you should go ahead and make a move on them. So yeah, that's that's, uh, that's some great thoughts right there. I'll tell you what, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the show, but I've got a couple more questions before we head on out, my friend. And that is when you're talking about managing your team through the season and you know, obviously a waiver wire has to be in there as well what advice would you give to, let's say, uh, beginning or, uh, you know, fairly inexperienced fantasy football team owners out there on how to manage your roster through the course of a given season?
1: So the waiver wire, it's very important to be on the lookout for especially running backs who got hurt because that's the most common position to have injuries. And there's a lot of change of hand of who's going to be the starter every year and every game, really. So Always be looking out for backup running backs on the waiver wire because they're usually one hit away from getting their chance and really helping your team in a big way or being a big part of a trade package. So I would say, especially early on, I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday for at least the first couple weeks. First, I would say first four weeks is, you know, trust the process, trust the guys that you drafted. So you drafted this guy to be your starter. Don't go bench him week one because of, You think a projection somewhere else is going to be better. You took him as a starter for a reason. I would say, make sure, start with your drafted team first. And once you have somebody break out or somebody slumping, then you can start moving some pieces. But make sure you stick with those guys from draft day.
0: That's some sound advice indeed. I'll tell you what, Justin, it's just been great having you part of the program right here on Inside Sports Fantasy Football. But I've got one last question before we head on out. And that is this, with all that said and done in fantasy football and all the stuff that's going on, that the transactions, the trades, the, the waiver wire stuff, and all the interaction that you that you have as a fantasy football owner, what is the one bit of advice that you've learned over the course of your many years of playing now that you would give out there to an audience? Um,
1: I would say the biggest thing is start the players that you like, get players that you like. You know, if you're a fan of a certain team and you're not sure if you're a Jets fan and you see Le'Veon Bell, but you're not sure if David Johnson's going to be better, take Bell because it's going to be more fun for you to root for the guys you like, and it's going to get you more involved, and it's going to make you manage your team better. If you have a bunch of players you don't like or you don't know much about, you're probably not going to be too invested in their games. So that's the biggest thing I always think is, you know, make sure you're still having fun with it because if you're not, you're not going to play well at all.
0: And you know what? I just thought of another one before we got to know. One last thing. Any under-the-radar players that you are targeting in your drafts or maybe you think might fall through the waiver wire that you want to give people let's say, a big secret because they're probably not in your league? <laughs> I would say
1: draft-wise, the quarterback I'm high on that's going to go a little bit later is Baker Mayfield. He uh, broke Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson's rookie touchdown record last year in two less games than they had. And he just got Odell Beckham Jr. there. He's I think a real good chance of leading the league in touchdowns with this new improved Browns offense running back. My favorite in the league right now, Sony Michelle he's lining up in the slot this year. He's looking like a true three down back for the Patriots who always have a very strong offense. And I've seen him going as late as the fifth round, sixth round. He's definitely a guy I'm targeting and Mike Williams from the chargers, almost said San Diego chargers, but the Los Angeles chargers. He led the team in touchdowns last year, even with Keenan Allen there. And most receivers have their biggest year, year three. So this is a guy entering his third year. Rivers likes to throw to him now. He's a big red zone guy. And I've gotten him as late as the 12th round before. So those are the guys that were under the radar for me that I was looking at. you already drafted, make sure you see if Carlos Hyde is available. He was recently traded to the Houston Texans to replace Lamar Miller. And he'll probably step in as a bell cow back pretty quick.
0: Well, those are some great thoughts and those are some players that I have keyed in on myself as far as under the radar, some that might sneak through, maybe even get to the waiver wire. So that's some excellent points right there for you. Justin Novaro, it's been great having you on the show. If you have any questions out there, please let us know. PopCultureConsults at yahoo.com or our new email, isfantasyfootball at yahoo.com. That's isfantasyfootball at yahoo.com. If you have a question for me, dutch chris lardieri who's coming up on the show you have a question for justin novaro right here i will make sure that it gets to him in fact justin i hope you get a chance to come back on the show as soon as you want to and you know anybody else out there i want to hear your experience as well so if you want to come on to the show at any point in time just reach out to us isfantasyfootball fantasy football at yahoo.com or inside sports pop culture cosmos humanica media on facebook twitter and instagram as well Justin, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us about some fantasy football. The red carpet is out for you, my friend. (laughs) Invitations there, open, and whenever you want to come back, hit me up and let me know because it's just so great to have you part of the show.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll have to come back, talk more fantasy.
0: Awesome, awesome. Just great to have you part of Inside Sports Fantasy Football.
2: Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games.
0: And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you need a listing, we're at because we're being played all around the world seven days a week on radio stations worldwide. Check out our listings today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, including our great friends at Pulse Talk Radio. You want to give them a shot at Pulsetalkradio.com. You want to listen to all the great programming they have there, including the PCC Multiverse with all the podcast apps that are out there. We're on virtually all of them. So you want to check out a listing of where we're at today for podcasting at Pop Culture Cosmos. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Congratulations, You Suck. Go ahead, my friend. Let me know where I can get my hands on your awesome book. Congratulations, you suck.
3: Yeah, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, Book Locker, and other great booksellers. Check it out today and please leave a review on amazon.com. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. It is congratulations, you suck. If you stop by a Barnes & Noble store, you can request it to come to that store. It's congratulations, you suck, from my good friend, Josh Peterson. Before we head on out, my friend, two last things. We're going to go ahead right now and count down the numbers 141 to 150 on our top 200 video games of all time that were determined by our listeners and followers of the Pop Culture Cosmos. So without further ado, what is number 150? Kirby Superstar, Horizon Zero Dawn at 149, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, At 148, one of the most underrated of the Grand Theft Auto series, in my opinion. The original God of War from Sony, that's at 147. 146 is Crash Bandicoot, The Wrath of Cortex. Number 145 is a game that I know is still being played by a lot of people today as a, I guess what you could say is a true trendsetter in the multiplayer platform, and that is Counter-Strike Global Offensive. For these options, my friend, are there any that really stick out to you when it concerns games 150 to 145?
3: I played God of War. I just got done playing that. You can check it out on my Humanic Media YouTube channel, my full playthrough of God of War 1. God of War 1, the original. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a tough game, man. Like, they don't tell you that it's more than just like solving puzzles and swinging your swords around. Like, it's a lot of timing. Like, it's a lot of stuff that kids these days would not be able to play because they don't have the patience for. You got time. Like, there's this part when you're in Hades and you're trying to climb back up into the world and you have to get on these things that have teeth spinning around. So you got to time it. And you got to jump. You got to jump and try not to get hit by the teeth. I died 62 times. 62 times. And you counted too. And I counted because I had a feeling that that was going to happen. I was doing little tallies on a piece of paper. That sucked. And I know that if I lost patience for that, there's no way these kids who are sitting there playing Fortnite these days would even stand a chance playing something like this because it's not instant gratification. They they can't sit there. Gone are the days, you know, when you have people who, who are willing to play hard games, Dark Souls, Sekiro, like, when I hear people younger than me playing those
0: games, like I applaud them. I
3: want to shake their hand.
0: Counter-Strike Global, global Offensive, CSGO?
3: No, I played Counter-Strike, but I never played CSGO.
0: Okay. Let's shoot down to 144, which is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Still has some good stuff in there. A lot of people remember the airport scene. I think a lot of people talked about that. That was very controversial at the time. 143 is an excellent game i truly enjoyed bayonetta 2 bagman from the arcades that's at 142 and 141 is toe jam and earl i enjoyed the original call of duty modern warfare immensely modern warfare 2 expounded on that but it was that no russian scene that provided a lot of controversy especially if it was made today That scene I don't think would probably get out. I think the ratings board would have plenty of issues with it because it does provide a lot of controversy even up to this day. I think that Bayonetta 2, if you get that, I think it still comes with Bayonetta 1 in. So you get two games for the price of one, which I really think is a good deal. So those are our 141 to 150 titles in our top 200 list. If you want to see the list in its entirety, we're counting down each and every day off our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So if you want to go ahead and and take a look even further down the list, check it out today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Before we head on out, I got to talk to you about a controversy that came up this week with another game that's coming out. And I mentioned before, Gears of War 5, and I briefly mentioned it as well on this episode and that's NBA 2K20, which usually is a very high-rated game, a lot of interesting features, a lot of interesting things to do. They always have a decent career mode, a lot of things great going on there. But it's funny, with all the controversy that games with microtransactions create, and the fact that 2K has been very upfront as far as their microtransactions and saying, hey, NBA, WWE, and any other time we go ahead and put out DLC or microtransactions, it makes us a ton of money. So we're going to keep on doing it. To be as bold as to release a video in regards to a type of format, almost like microtransactions, but in a form of gambling like slot machines or pachinko and roulette wheel, that to me is concerning. As a parent, I don't like it. I don't think it's necessary, especially for something like a basketball game, which you're not really going there to go play video poker or even try a slot machine.
3: Well, think about it. It's a bridge too far. Like, it, it, you got to sit there and wonder, like, the devs on this game, what in the world were they thinking? Did they think that this I, would be funny? I think funny? they're just
0: trying to be bold. They're, they're just trying to go ahead and be brash but and be bold. And there's be, you know, brash
3: know. and bold, and then there's idiotic, because you're caught in the midst. 2K and EA are are the leaders in this whole online gambling loot box conspiracy. So to go to the point where you make a slot machine and it actually looks like something that would be in a casino. How do you think people are going to react to that? What what did, what did they think was going to happen? Like, it's just, it's, it's so dumb to me that the people who market the game would sit there and be like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like it just in, in the midst of all this stuff going on, everything, that they would sit there and think to themselves that people aren't going to get upset about this because they are. And I totally get it. It was just it was a very stupid, stupid thing for them to do, bold or not. It's just it was not a, a, a good decision. It was, And it's another reason for people to to be weary of video games. And especially like after, you know, all the gun stuff going on, people blame video games for that. It's just this is not a good time for games to have bad publicity and stuff like this only adds to it.
0: I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, the way it's presented like a pachinko roulette wheel and slot machine where you go ahead and you get the rung up as far as to get the certain players to get the certain type of perks and certain type of, of things out of it, to me, it's quite disappointing. I, I mean, if you got to go ahead and go off of an XP system, if you got to go ahead and go, go off a progression system where you have to earn XP points and you can buy XP points to go ahead and get as far as microtransactions in there, I get that. I know that's a side deal that 2K now loves immensely. And they have been very upfront in saying, you know what? We're going to keep doing this for our games. For every Grand Theft Auto, for every NBA 2K, for every WWE 2K, we're going to make sure we maximize each and every one. And I guess as an organization, as a developer, as a publisher, you have to go ahead and maximize every game that comes out there. I mean, we as gamers... We would love the fact that, okay, if I'm buying $60, I want to get the whole experience right there. Unfortunately, those days are pretty much over. You're going to have to go ahead. If you want the full experience, pay a lot more. But I think this is a little bit over the top. I think this is very wrong to do. I think the way it's presented, especially like you said, in the times where so many legislators are out there to try and get the video game industry at each and every turn I mean, earlier this year, they're trying to pass laws in certain areas in certain countries against certain video games that they think promote gambling and microtransactions. I mean, the Star Wars Battlefront Two. I mean, do I need to say more as far as the bad look it did for electronic arts and how much of a misstep that was? This is not a good look at all for the video game industry. I'm very appalled and very concerned that they, they would go ahead Knowing the landscape of the video game industry themselves, because they make games each and every year, especially in the NBA 2K series, that they would be brash enough to go ahead and put this out there that actually looks like pachinko, roulette wheel, and like a slot machine. And it just really is disappointing what it teaches the kids, what it teaches young adults, what it teaches anyone under the age of 21 that's not yet gambling. Hey, go ahead try this out. If you like it, go ahead, do more. That could just lead to many more issues down the line. I know it's probably a long shot for 99% of the people out there, but for maybe that one or two individuals out there that want to get hooked on these microtransactions, that's just not a good look at all. What are your thoughts out there on the controversy that NBA 2K20 has created with its presentation of some of its microtransactions, including the presentation style of a slot machine and pachinko and roulette wheel as far as trying to go ahead and get more bonus perks from your nba 2k20 experience do you think it's gone too far and do you think it sends the wrong message to young adults and kids alike out there share us your thoughts pop culture at yahoo.com my friend thank you so much for being a part of today's episode i also want to give a big thank you to justin Novaro for joining us on our I guess what's now our second episode of the Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Again, if you want to check out Inside Sports Fantasy Football, it's available today on Anchor.fm and all and so many other podcast outlets. Any last thoughts on the way out?
3: No, I mean, I'm going to play some Gears this weekend. Maybe we can talk about that, but I think we covered everything.
0: Also as well, we're going to have Jason Todd Feinberg. He's going to be here on the Monday program sharing his thoughts for the rest of the year on the horror film genre. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.
2: Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret, all your favorite shows will still be available for free as always. But you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is go to ESOPodcast.com and click on the link. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards.
0: You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network
2: podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
0: Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com.